Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our next-gen pastor, Myron Jellison, for this week's message. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, So glad you're here. Uh, No matter where you're tuning in from or where you're watching from, online, church at home group, uh, driving down the highway, listening on a podcast, I'm psyched that you're tuning in and listening with us. And we are in the journey with Jesus, the story of Jesus, and we're going through the book of Mark. And I know we've only been doing this for eight weeks, and we've only gotten through like a chapter and a quarter. We're still in chapter two, but I don't know about you, but I'm loving this going deep, learning so much about who Jesus is, what he represents, what he stands for, what he taught, and and we're just scratching the surface, and there's so much more to come, and it's been such a great start and beginning. And tonight we're going to continue, or today we're going to continue this this journey with Jesus. Now, now last week, Chris Dew, he kind of introduced that there's now a tension starting to build between Jesus and the Pharisees or the religious leaders, the people who thought they were like the religious super dogs or the superstars of of the community. And there's this tension that's forming because Jesus is hanging out with these sinners and like, listen, why why are you doing that? Like, Like, that's so not traditional and the customary of what it's meant to be a rabbi and a teacher. And so there's this tension that starts to build. And it's going to build even more as we see here in a moment. But I want us to think about the people of that time as well. The people of that time, uh, they would have been familiar with the Old Testament prophecy. So they would have known that a Messiah is going to come. Like they would have known that there's a savior of the world, the one that's going to take away the sins of the people, that's going to restore the kingdom of God. They know about this Messiah. And then this Messiah called Jesus shows up and claims to be the Messiah. And they're like all confused because they're like, wait, you're nothing like what we thought you were going to be. Like we had in our mind this picture of you were going to like restore the good old days. And this, you were going to set us free from the Roman oppression. And we were going to be like the, we were going to be the superpower, like paradise on earth. And that's exactly what the people of that day who were familiar with the prophecy were expecting. And Jesus shows up and says, I'm nothing like what you've expected. They're looking for the wrong kind of Messiah. And the Pharisees are, are, have this tension as well. And everybody's just kind of like, okay, who are you? And that's why this, ten, this tension kinds, kind of exists. And if you think about the religious leaders, the Pharisees, okay, their whole entire life was built on tradition and ritual and their own teaching and their own kind of foundation. And they added all these different layers and they, did their whole, they lived their whole entire life thinking this is how they are gonna be right with God. And Jesus shows up and grabs the rug and just rips it right out from underneath him and said, no, you, are, you couldn't be farther from the truth. I'm completely different. I didn't come to fit your mold. I didn't come to fit your tradition. I didn't come to just engage in your rituals and be an addition to your religion or your faith. I came to be completely different. My kingdom is completely different. And the tension's about to get more. And we're going to see this in Mark chapter 2. If you got your Bibles, Mark chapter 2. We're going to go from verse 18 to verse 22 today. Mark 2, verse 18 says this. Now, John's disciples, which is John the Baptist, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? 
First thing I want to hit pause and look at is, okay, John the Baptist, we saw kind of in chapter one that he was the guy preparing the way for Jesus's ministry. And basically John the Baptist was saying, hey, like I'm doing this ministry and I'm telling you people to repent and, and believe and follow me. But guess what? There's one who's coming who's greater than I. The, the Lamb of God, and he even says this, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, that's who you should be following. So John is pushing people and saying, go follow Jesus. I'm just a, I'm just a guy preparing the way. That's who you really wanna follow. And some, some of John's followers, some of John's disciples did break away from John and go and follow Jesus. But in this passage, we see exactly John's disciples. He still has disciples. And John's, at, John's in prison at this point. So he still has people who are being loyal to him and serving him and following him. And here's the point I wanna make from that. I think human beings tend to be drawn to the things of man more than to the things of God. We tend to be more loyal to the things of man than maybe to the things of God. And think about like traditions in our, in our culture. Think about like Independence Day, Memorial Day, Labor Day. We got Black History Month, we got Columbus Day. We got all these varieties of celebrations. And I'm not saying they're not bad, I'm just saying we mark our calendars, we book it years in advance, we shut down work, we, sh- we, we literally just shut down and you know, kind of make our schedules and our routines ar- around some of these traditions that men have made and we become very loyal to the ritual or to the command. I think it's kind of in our DNA that we have this desire a little bit to maybe be drawn to the things of man, to tradition, to, to, tradition, to rituals more than to the things of God. And I think John's disciples is a good example of that. And so they're doing this fasting thing. John's disciples and the Pharisees are doing this fasting thing. And here's what the fasting was, what they were doing. As they, they were doing a Monday and Thursday fast, two days a week. Some people would say that it was a 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., kind of the sun up to sundown fast. Some, some theologians and experts say it was a 24-hour fast. But again, it was just a Monday and Thursday fast that they would do in order to like display their righteousness to say, look at me sacrificing so that I can display to you how holy I am or how good I am of a God person or a religious person. And so they built this kind of man-made ritual of this Monday and Thursday of fasting. And they asked Jesus, say, hey, okay, these people are doing it. Why aren't yours? Like if that's the, the expectation to be right with God and you're claiming to be the Messiah, the son of God, why aren't you? And we'll get to that in a minute, but I want to just pause on fasting for just a second and kind of take a sidebar and talk about what is fasting? What is fasting? And here's the simple thing I can give us that what is fasting? It's not a ritual. Fasting is a response. It's not a ritual. It was never designed to be a ritual that we were supposed to obey like Monday or Thursday. It was given and it's commanded and it's, a, it's an amazing thing, but it was meant to be a response, not a ritual. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll see this. You read the Old Testament, you see that um, people, they would fast, the nation of Israel, God's people would fast when there was a famine, a time of crisis, when uh, someone needed clarity or like they just needed to hear from God or they needed just a deeper connection with God. They would have a response to a relationship with God to then fast, to break away from food and and deny themselves that desire so that they could focus on praying and connecting with God through the crisis, trying to get clarity and and connect with him on a deeper level out of response. And then over time, that got kind of turned into a a man-made ritual. And then we see when Jesus shows up and the Pharisees and John disciples, they're doing this Monday, Thursday thing. And here's the thing about fasting. Jesus isn't anti-fasting. He fasted. 
If you go back to Mark 1, we see after Jesus was baptized, the spirit descended on him and it led him out into the desert where he spent 40 days fasting and being tempted. He was chilling with the wild animals and the angels were attending him while he was fasting for 40 days. Now, if Jesus wanted to make it about displaying of holiness or righteousness, why did the spirit lead him into the desert by himself? He would have went into the towns, the synagogues, where all the people are. Look at me. I've been fasting for 25 days. Like, look at me. Look how righteous and holy I am. But that's not what it's about, fasting. Fasting is about a relationship with God, connecting with God. And that's why the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness, so he could pray. He could prepare. He could connect, build intimacy, have a deep connection with God so that he could go and do his purpose and fulfill his purpose of why he even came. And you may ask, okay, well, then what does fasting mean for us today? And, and so here's what I would think. There's three things that fasting should do, fasting should do for you. Number one, it should heighten your awareness of physical desires. It should heighten your awareness of physical desires. When you deny yourself food in particular in a fast, your body craves food. You're hungry. You feel the hunger pains. Your belly is growling. You are weak, depleted of energy. Your body naturally craves that. And what's amazing, if you, if you engage in the fast for the right reasons and deny yourself that food, you begin to realize how strong the human flesh has desires. It's more than just the hunger pains for food. You start to see how, 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 how strong the, the desire for lust is of another person, how strong the desire is to maybe be angry and hold on to bitterness and, and envy and not forgive people. And you start to see how powerful these fleshly desires can be when you deny yourself one like eating. And it heightens your awareness to see, man, I have fleshly desires that I have to fight, that I have to deny, that I have to flee from. And that leads me to my second point of what fasting should do for you. It just should make you rely on Jesus. Because when you have that, that, that strong urge, that strong desire, because you've removed that thing from you, you need to replace it with Jesus to say, Jesus, I need you more now than ever. I can't do this on my own. I need you to help me with this fleshly desire that I'm struggling with right now. And you spend time praying, meditating, reading God's word and connecting with him to build a relationship with him. And that's the third thing about fasting. It is to build your relationship with God, to strengthen your relationship with God. Fasting was never meant to be a ritual. It was always meant to be a response to God, his goodness, his faithfulness, his love, his connection, his relationship to us. And that's what fasting it's about, let's come back to the Pharisees, Monday, Thursday. Do you know what they did in their fasting on Monday, Thursday? They literally would take ash and make their face really white. They would put on raggedy old clothes and they would walk around going, look at me, look at how miserable I am for Christ. Look at me suffering to show you how holy I am for Christ or for God, how holy I am for God. They were putting on a public display of like how good I am of a Christian. So Jesus is anti-fasting. It's the motivation behind the fast that matters. And Jesus tells us how to fast. In Matthew 6, if you want to get there or, or write this down and, and go read Matthew 6, 16 through 18, it says this, when you fast. Doesn't say, uh, yeah, it doesn't say you have to fast. It says when you do this, when you do fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces. He's talking just about the Pharisees to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Use some conditioner, take a shower, make yourself look presentable. 
so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you for your fasting. The external display that they were doing Monday and Thursday, this show of righteousness, they're going to get their reward. They've already received it in full. But when you fast, it's about a response to a relationship with your heavenly father. And don't show off. Take care of yourself. Make yourself presentable so people don't know. So you do it in secret because your father in heaven will reward you because of that. So they ask him the question, why aren't your disciples fasting like these other religious people or teachers are? And Jesus paints a beautiful word. He paints a great illustration as he always does. I love how Jesus does this. He says in verse 19, Jesus answered to the question, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. All right, so Jesus, Jesus tells his audience something so familiar they would understand the imagery he's painting because he's talking about the wedding culture in that day. It's very different from our, our modern day weddings here in America. But back then, that culture, the wedding was a week-long celebration. They called it the wedding festival. It was a week-long celebration. And so the bridegroom would be the husband, the person, the, the male who got married. And he's saying that when the bridegroom is there for that whole week partying and celebrating and living it up and, 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 uh, of this new union between these two people, it's a celebration. It's a party. There's joy. There's great emotion. Like the bridegroom, that was supposed to be the best week of his entire life. Like everyone's cooking for him. He's, drink, he's eating good food. He's drinking good wine. He's, he's getting to sleep with his wife. Like it's, it's the best week of his life. He has no responsibilities, no work. Like he's just being pampered. It's be the best week of his life. And Jesus is painting this imagery. He says, hey, I'm the bridegroom of the people of God. I'm that bridegroom. And wherever I am, wherever my guests are, we're having joy, we're partying, we're celebrating. We're not gonna follow these man-made traditions and rituals. Like we don't have to fast because the bridegroom is with them. Because here's the thing, like the rabbinic law, okay, the rabbis would declare uh, in the time of the wedding festival that if, if the law got in the way of you having a good time, you were exempt from the law during this week of festivities. And so the guests of the bridegroom would be like the, the people throwing the parties at the houses, hanging out the whole week. And then guess what? It's a whole week. You're going to hit a Monday or a Thursday. You're going to hit both of those actually in that celebration. So therefore, if, if, if joy is going to be hindered by the law, you are exempt from the law. You get to choose joy that week. Jesus painted an image. As long as I'm here with my people, we got joy. We got life to the full. They have a relationship with me. They don't need to fast because the relationship's right here with them in the flesh. And then he gives an imagery of saying the bridegroom will be taken away one day. And he's, this is the first time in the book of Mark that he's foreshadowing his death. And Jesus is saying, I'm gonna be gone one day. And that's when my disciples, my followers will fast because I'm not here anymore. So they're gonna need to heighten their awareness of their desires, rely on me more and strengthen their relationship with me more through fasting. And then he goes on to paint another picture in verse 21. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. 
And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. Don't waste the wine. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. He gives another imagery of saying, you have a a garment that's already shrunk. You put a cloth on the patch, it guess what? That patch is going to shrink, and it's going to re-rip all the seams again. It's not going to stick. It's not going to work. And then in the wine illustration, he's like, okay, we put wine into a wineskin, and then when it ferments, okay, when it, becomes, when it goes through the fermentation process, it expands, and the wineskin has enough elasticity to withhold it. But once a wineskin's already been you know, stretched because of the fermentation of one round, you put new wine into that again, it's going to stretch beyond the elasticity of the wineskin, and it's going to bust it up. And Jesus is painting this clear picture. I didn't come to patch up <laughs> what you've already built. I didn't come to just patch up or, or, or be in addition to what you have created and what you think is right with God and your rituals and your traditions. I came to be new, a new kingdom. I'm not going to fit your, your mold. I'm not going to fit your model. I'm not going to fit your expectation. I'm not going to be what you think I should be. I'm going to be completely different than that. And this illustration, I think, paints the gospel message. The old is gone, the new has come. And for us, it's like this idea of like, okay, well, maybe I'll, you know, I'm going to keep sleeping around and maybe being unfaithful to my spouse or maybe watching some pornography, uh, uh, but then I'm just going to sprinkle Jesus in a little bit when it's convenient for me. Or maybe I'm going to hold on to anger and bitterness and not forgive people, but you know what, when it's convenient for me, maybe I'll read my Bible and sprinkle Jesus in and just put that patch right there on that one hole in my life. Maybe I'm going to spread gossip like crazy and, and just not be a good person because that person doesn't deserve deserve me to be nice to them. But man, I'm just like that one area, I'm just going to try to patch up with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, you've missed it. I didn't come to patch up the old. I came and I bought you at a price so that the old could be traded in for brand new. That old garment, I'm taking it and I'll give you a brand new garment. That old wineskin, give it to me. I'm going to give you a brand new life. The old is gone. The new has come. I didn't come to fit your mold, your model, and patch up the old and and be just an addition to what you already think is right. I came to do something brand new. And he wants to make all of us brand new. He wants to take every pain, every hardship, every piece of shame and guilt that we're carrying and every scar and begin to heal that. And he's saying, just give it to me and I'll give you a new life. I'll transform you. And that's what the offer is in the illustration he's painting. And so you might be thinking, okay, Myron, are all like these Christian rituals bad? <laughs> like, should we not do any of them? And I would say, no, the Christian, these rituals are good. These rhythms or these, these traditions that we do are good because think about it. Jesus even commanded a bunch of them. He like, Jesus said, you should pray. You should absolutely, uh, you know, gather together in community You should get baptized. I mean, that's a command, and you would call that a ritual, getting baptized. Communion, like partaking in the Lord's Supper, that's a good thing that Jesus commanded that you, that we should do, that we would call a ritual. Keeping the Sabbath, you know, taking a day of rest, not neglecting uh, getting together and, and gathering for church and getting together in small groups and having community, fasting. All of these things are good things. Being generous, giving 10% back to the church. You could say that all those are rituals. And I would say, yeah, the ritual is not bad in and of itself. It's the worshiping of the ritual that becomes an idol in your life that will be a stumbling block with the relationship with you you can have with Jesus. When it becomes about the ritual 
and you start to worship the ritual, thinking that's the be-all, end-all, that's just a checklist that I can check off and that's going to earn my way and make me right with God, that is a stumbling block, a hindrance for you to have the life that he wants to give you through a relationship with Jesus. You can't earn your way to God. You can't do enough right things to earn your way to God. Jesus earned it for you by dying on a cross in your place for your sin so that you could trade in the old garment, the old life, and he would give you a new life. So these commands or these rituals aren't bad, and I'm going to call them tools, right? These, these are called tools, praying, reading your Bible, getting together Sunday morning or wherever you gather for church at your appointed time getting together with other believers and fellowshipping, giving, tithing, fasting, reading your word, all of those things are good things. Those are tools. But here's the thing. When the tools become the rules, that's when things get off. So do not let your tools of following Jesus and growing your relationship with Jesus become the rules that rob you of the true life and the relationship that he wants to have with you. It's not about the rules but use these tools to grow your faith, to become more like Jesus. And let me just give an example right now. Like I know we're in, we're in, the, we're in the season of Lent right now. And typically for the, for the Catholic faith, uh, you know, the tradition is to give up something for Lent. And you might do that and Lent, Lent, giving up something for Lent can be a good thing. But here I think is what happens with that is it becomes about the tradition. It's like this social pressure of like everyone else is doing it, I gotta do it. So I'll give up chocolate. And then I'll post on social media that I'm giving up chocolate letting everybody know. And we do because it's like, it's just the expectation, it's the norm. And, and so like the intention of it is not bad. Removing something that you desire for 40 days is a great thing to do. Just do it with the right intention and motivation for the right reason. Not about displaying or following the social pressure and doing the tradition for tradition's sake and ritualistic sake, but because you want to grow in your relationship with God. And so if you're participating in land and maybe you're going through the motions, I'm gonna ask you, man, do it for the right reasons. Keep going with what you've already committed to, but do for the right reasons and and replace it with Jesus and grow in your relationship with God and he might do something powerful in the rest of that season for you. You can't just sprinkle Jesus in to your current life. He's asking you to surrender your old life and he can make you new. He's not just gonna patch up and fit your mold and fit your model, fit what you want him to be. I'm completely different than that. And so I want to talk to those who've been a, a, a Jesus follower for a while or, or a churchgoer for a while, for a second. And you look at the Pharisees and Jesus and you realize that, man, that is not, they're, they're not vibing. They are not really getting along. And no one would ever say, I want to be a Pharisee. Nobody who knows about the tension would say, I want to be a Pharisee. But here's what happens for some Christians and, and believers. And I'm, I'm in this too is we may accidentally pick up some pharisaical traits. We may have some things in our life that accidentally we could label as like a Pharisee behavior. And so I'm gonna ask you to search your heart. Where does it become about a ritual for you rather than a relationship with your savior, Jesus? Where does it become about just checking boxes and going through the motions because you think that's the expectation of what you have to do to be right with God and where it's really just surrender to him and follow him and invest in the person of Jesus Christ in that relationship? I got some things in my life I, got, I struggled with too. And so find that, wrestle with God, ask him to reveal it to you because you didn't, you didn't choose it on purpose. It might've just happened by accident. Ask him to reveal it to you so that you can walk alongside of him of breaking that. 
And then I'm going to ask those who aren't Jesus followers or maybe just checking out church and never been around or never made that decision before. Here's what I want to encourage you. Don't settle for a man-made ritualistic faith, but choose a genuine relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ, who lived the life that you could never live and died the death that you deserved. And because of that, you can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can be made new. And you can spend eternity with him. If you've never made that decision, don't fall prey because man's, men or mankind, humanity, is drawn to the things of man more than the things of God. And we love a black and white checklist. If I can do X, Y, and Z and still live the way I want to live, I'll choose that every time. That's my humanity. That's my flesh. Don't fall prey to that. But understand the significance of Jesus' sacrifice and have the gratitude in your heart of saying, thank you so much for doing that for me. And give your life to him. Trade in the old garment and take on the new life that he wants to give you. And so I'm gonna pray a small prayer for you if you want to put your faith in Christ. Nothing magical about my words I'll say, but it's magical about the intention and, and in your heart and the meaning behind the words that you will utter, inviting him in to your life. So if you wanna do that, just pray something simple with me right now. Say, Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a a sinner. I know I've messed up. And I know I can't earn my way to God. But Jesus, I know that you died on a cross so that I could be in relationship, relationship with God. And I confess it with my mouth. I believe it in my heart that you are who you say you are. And so Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you make me new? And would you help me follow you with everything that I got? And Jesus, I just pray for everybody listening, church at home, online, wherever. Father, you would search our heart in ways in which we've settled for the ritual or we've fallen into the tradition and it's robbing us of true depth and intimacy with a relationship with you. Reveal that to us, show us where that is in our life and begin to to make us new all over again reshape our thoughts into your thoughts and and lead our heart to have your heart and help us live the life that you're calling us to live. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.